the football season isn't over quite yet and Bet365 offer a wide range of bets including first, last and any time goal scorers. And with over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With FA Cup, Champions League and Europa League still to be played, you can use Bet365 Bet Builder to combine match results, players to score, number of goals and a lot more to create your own personalised bet. Use the Bet365 Match Live feature to follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online betting company. The app is downloadable from Google Play and Apple App Store, over 18s only, and please... Gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to From the Rooker End, brought to you by The Athletic. My name is John, with me is DCW. Hello. And this is a first of our podcast where we're going to sort of look a, look ahead to changes that might need to be made at Vicarage Road. This one particularly is about the managers and uh, the next manager. And we will be chatting to Alex Stewart, uh, who is part of the TIFO team, uh, and get his views on who are the possible candidates for the role of new Watford head coach. Now, DCW, it's been a few days since the relegation was confirmed. Yeah, uh, I do have flashes in my mind of the little graphic in the top corner on Sky Sports saying Watford relegated. But you've been quite chipper. Or well, at least you've been, you, know, you, you sort of got over it enough, I think, since, uh, since then. How are you feeling today? I'm okay. Uh, you've got to, haven't you? Right? It's happened. And as you say, that moment, seeing the words in the yellow and black in the corner of the screen, Watford are relegated. That's when it hits home. Okay. It's happened. The worst thing that could have happened this season has happened to, to Watford Football Club. So what we've got to do, we can wallow in it. We can, we can look back at the games and the moments and the VAR decisions and the managerial changes and we can lament our fortunes or we can get on with it and we can be positive, look forward to a season in the championship, hopefully just one season going up, not going down. Uh, and, and, and be optimistic. And yeah, it's, I'm, 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 in a way, I'm quite looking forward to this period now because we're not going to have time to, to wallow, as I just mentioned, because normally, uh, if things were normal, which are obviously not, you would have that sort of month of shutdown where everyone would go on holiday and football would kind of, not grind to a halt, but would slow down significantly. Which now there was no time for that. There's six weeks. I think. I think on Sunday it was like 48 days. I think I tweeted from being relegated on Sunday to the start of the next championship season. So there's no time to waste. We're going to be straight into the thick of it with managerial uh, arrivals being linked left, right, and centre. They're already happening. Players are going to come. Players are going to go. So it's going to be exciting. I think. One of the good things that come out the last few days uh, since that that sad Sunday uh, was a statement from Gino Pozzo, the Watford owner, and Scott Duxbury, the chairman and CEO. Uh, and this is what they had to say to Watford fans. The world hasn't stopped turning, even though at times yesterday we all had a feeling of despair. But from despair has to come hope. And that is why we as a club, as a community, and as a group who have Watford Football Club in our hearts, we must build for a successful future. There is obviously huge disappointment at losing our Premier League status. We cannot pretend otherwise. Every club wants to be playing at the highest possible level. What league we play in, however, does not define the football club. We will not allow the core values of Watford FC to become diluted simply because we are not playing in the Premier League. Everything we have achieved as a club over the past eight years should not be forgotten. The fact that we have transformed Vicarage Road Stadium and built a club of true substance, with links to the community that are the envy of many, is a source of great pride. What we did for our NHS neighbours during a time of true crisis should stand as a beacon for what this club embodies. We have always said we are here for the long term and we will not allow this one moment of great disappointment to stop the continued development of this club over the next eight years and beyond. This is not to detract from mistakes that were made surrounding the team this season. We have to be scrupulously honest with ourselves and admit our efforts surrounding the team were not good enough. There will be lessons learned and changes made, but from today we move forward. We have to accept a different challenge. We will make changes where the team is concerned, and those changes will make us stronger, ready to face the challenges that lie ahead and rekindle the passion that has always been a hallmark of this great club. In sport, you will always face moments of great disappointment, but it's how you react that defines you. 
Rest assured, we will do everything in our power to take Watford Football Club back to the Premier League. Something we all believe we can achieve. I was glad to hear them firstly speak DCW, but on the whole, I think I was more happy that they did sort of admit to them about themselves and the mistakes they've made. But they did highly talk about the the team, and that's what needed to change, the team. They did. I I think they might have listened to the podcast before writing this (laughs) statement, to be honest with you, because it ticks every box from what we talked about on Sunday. It basically sounds like a sounds like all the list of complaints that Mike had. They they highlighted quite rightly the pride they have in what they've done for the NHS and the local hospital during that time of coronavirus lockdown, um, which is something we should you know continue to be proud of and remind ourselves that that's really the thing that matters most at this sort of time but but yeah they kind yeah they did take some responsibility but like you say they pointed the arrows quite firmly at the team the team that they've built we should also point out so they're not they're by far by no means are they free from from blame when it comes to the team but they have recognized it it needs to change and it will be fascinating to see what that change entails. I know you're going to do another podcast, aren't you, with Geordie about the team specifically and what we think needs to happen in terms of the ins and outs, who stays, who goes and all that. But yeah, we've got to do the head coach first, haven't we, I guess, before we do the team or, or maybe not. Maybe exactly, you know, that's the exact problem we've been talking about. The head coach has been irrelevant when it comes to the team in recent times. And maybe that is indeed the problem. Well, we shall see which one comes first in the next few weeks. Do make sure you subscribe to Athletic to get all the latest uh, on this uh, and the latest, but also the the depth of the writing. Uh, and uh, check out what Adam writes about Watford. Do you can get a free thirty day trial by going to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. But today's podcast, DCW, we are going to be talking about who that next manager. We keep using that phrase, but I'm sure it's it's wrong. I should say head coach. Uh, with uh, Alex Stewart from TIFO. Now, th- this podcast came from, from a message you sent me, DCW, saying, who wants to be the next Watford manager? I mean, you really wouldn't want to be part of it if you look at this three managers we've had in a season, plus all the changes and we've made, the many, many changes we've made over the last eight years. It, 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 you know, it seems to most of the world that this isn't a club you want to be manager of. No, on the face of it, I don't think you necessarily would, or you'd certainly have some very pertinent questions to ask in the job interview, if there was such a thing. But as we know, football is an industry that is a law unto itself and defies normal conventions about any sort of standard of sensible employment conditions. And there will be people queuing up to take this job. It's a job that will be attractive to a lot of people who are out of work. It might be attractive to some people who are in work and want to make the step up. It might be a job for somebody that wants to rebuild their reputation, having previously had success, but maybe have fallen on slightly more fallow times. So yeah, there will be people that want the job, definitely. And the question is not only who wants the job, but who do we and who do, importantly, who does Gino Pozzo want to be the next Watford head coach is really the question that we want the answer to. And I think we're going to give him some suggestions if he is indeed listening. Well, if you're listening, Gino, please stay uh, stay alert for the next Wrestlers podcast and see what Alex has got to say. But we set Alex the task of trying to identify some managers, some sensible ones, um, some not so sensible ones, because, you know, we like to see what might be a little bit uh, left field. But what were the criteria we set him, DCW? The first one we had was they had to be able to play expansive football, probably very happy uh, with a 4-2-3-1 formation. Yeah, well, that seems to have been the issue this season with Javi, with Kike. Nigel Pearson was happy to play it, but maybe wasn't playing the right people in the system, which is a discussion we've already had at length, obviously. But yeah, I think 4-2-3-1 is the system at the moment. I mean, the players could come in and they, they could get a load of new players in the summer that mean that that system no longer works for us. But yeah, uh, with what we've got to go on at the moment, that seems to be the system that the owners favour, the system that the squad is on paper built for. I think every club, want, no club's ever going to say they want to go out and get a manager who plays terrible football, despite the fact that some of them are very successful doing so. So yeah, playing expansive football seems to be really a given these days, but I think they've got to be progressive. The second point in the criteria, and I think this is a really, really important one, they have to be happy to fit into this club's recruitment model. Now, most of the managers and head coaches we've had have certainly 
in public at least been happy with that model. Even Nigel Pearson, a man who you wouldn't expect to have been happy with it, was initially said to be very comfortable with the situation. Maybe that changed towards the end of his reign. Maybe that had a, a hand in his departure. But this person coming in, especially in a time where there's going to be huge changeover in the personnel of this squad, has got to be happy with their place in that hierarchy. That doesn't mean they can't have a say, because I do think they obviously, conversationally at least, will have a say in some of the decision or some of the thought process behind the decisions, but they've got to be kept, they've got to be comfortable with not having final say on any decisions regarding incoming or outgoing players. Third point is they need to have a history of developing young players within a first team setup. And that's really what I suppose I was thinking would have been happening much sooner with the Pozzos and their ownership of Watford. But there, there's definitely uh, an undercurrent of young players ready to burst through. And we do need someone who can help get them through that that ceiling into the, the heights of first team football and expressing themselves uh, and doing wonderful things. So then we can sell them on for a lot of money, which again is part of that pot. So the model. Yeah. And point number four is communication. This individual has got to be a good communicator. He's got to be able to deal with the relationships. He's got to manage up. He's got to manage down. And he's got to be able primarily to, to speak good English, I think should be a given. We, we all know what happened with the, the Walter Mazzari year when he failed to overcome the struggles with the language and the effect that had on the team and the club. And we need someone that we can rally around and who can really come along and kind of be a focal point and could be a bit of a lightning rod for the supporters, players and the whole club to kind of rally around. And someone who needs to be a leader and a good communicator, I think, is really important at the moment. And the last point is they have to have a clear footballing philosophy. That doesn't mean that they are limited and restricted, but they need to come and give this club and this first team particularly a really good, strong ethos and how to win and play games of football they're the five criteria that we have decently have we ever had a manager who you think ticks most of those boxes i don't think we've ever had someone who's ticked all of those boxes at the same time i'm just looking at the list of managers that we've had under the potzos of course we had zola did he yet yeah, played expansive football definitely very happy with the recruitment model young players have a little bit, not really. I think Sean Murray played a bit, didn't he, under Zola? Uh, Tommy Hoban played a bit, didn't he? Uh, maybe a few others. Um, good communicator, very nice man. Not sure how forceful he was with that communication, though, at times, maybe. And did he have a clear... Well, maybe he did tick all the bo boxes, to be honest with you. He obviously had his limitations. And then, obviously, Jakanovic definitely ticked... Some of them probably not that happy with the recruitment stuff, probably not a fantastic communicator, but definitely good on the football side of things. Young players was not really a thing at that time. Look, and the rest have been much of a muchness, haven't they? I think, I think we've all had hope and optimism that every manager that's come in looks the part and they all, to a certain extent, have fitted the you know, with with the exception of Nigel Pearson, have, have fit the Pozzo blueprint on paper. And I expect the next person will be very much the same. It's just, are they going to stick it out? Can they overcome the issues that have become more and more of a problem over the last year? That's going to be the fascinating thing. There's that team to change, but there's also a culture to change. Um, and uh, let's hope that this man who's going to be taking over will be the one to begin that process uh, in the new world that we live in which is called the championship dcw and i caught up with alex stewart from tifo to uh see a man like him who is very uh very knowledgeable about the entire world of football far beyond my knowledge uh and actually it's fascinating to listen to him talk about football the way he does we wanted to see who he could come up with who could be a possible new head coach for watford fc Alex, welcome to From the Rookery End. You're part of the, the TIFO uh, gang, team. I don't know what you want to call yourselves. You know, we mentioned you a few times on, on the podcast, but what, what is TIFO? What, what, what do you guys do? So TIFO is a YouTube channel that produces uh, illustrated videos that explain football. We like to concentrate on tactics, analytics, finances, um, stuff that kind of contextualizes the game and explains facets of it in a way that we hope is nice and straightforward without kind of talking down to people and just opens up 
football to to people who are interested it seems to seems to be going all right um and we've been part of the athletic for a good few months now which is really exciting now yeah you are you're not a Watford fan uh you are part of the uh football media and you look at Watford and you look at three managers in a season what what are your thoughts on on this well, <laughs> yes. My job at TIFO is largely tactics and analytics stuff. And so the way that I tend to approach football is, I suppose, quite dry and unemotional, people might say. Uh, and I'm very interested in, in squad planning, in recruitment, uh, in the role of the director of football, in setting a really intelligent strategy that can be followed through the course, not just of one season, but of several. So it would be fair to say that Watford has kind of behaved antithetically to how I would run a football club. This high turnover of managers, the the lack of planning, some perfectly sensible transfer decisions. I mean, I, I've been looking through players at, at clubs who um, have been relegated that might be worth picking up by other clubs, and, and Watford have got a lot of them. So there's obviously something sensible going on uh, behind the background there. But the way that the club runs, it just seems to be a bit uh, chaotic, I suppose, um, and and not the kind of thing that I, you know, were I a Watford fan, I would take no pleasure in that. It, it would, it would really give me great cause for concern. That's interesting because we've actually become over the last eight years quite happy, uh, or maybe used to uh, the, the change of managers. But this season particularly wasn't as. Uh, we didn't enjoy it as much, let's say that, uh, as an understatement. The question is, that DCW raised with us was, who on earth would want to be the Watford manager? And we got, you know, talk us through some, some candidates, but surely it doesn't look like a club that most managers would want to be part of? I think that's a really hard question to answer because obviously, you know, it's a club with a sustained period in the Premier League with I would say a reasonably good chance of bouncing back. I mean, of the the teams that have been relegated, I would say Watford is probably in the strongest position to make an immediate return. That is, of course, heavily dependent on which players they're able to keep hold of. Uh, and that's always the, the massive variable when, when you go into this period between relegation and, and the beginning of the new season. But if Watford can can hold on to a core of those players, maybe convince them you know, give us a year, if we can bounce back straight away, if we get someone good into coach, that's going to happen. And those players will will maybe give them that opportunity. I guess what, what would concern me is that there are enough good players there for Watford to hemorrhage kind of at least half of a starting 11, possibly more. Uh, and if they do get picked off, then as a manager you're looking at the negatives rather than the positives, aren't you? So you're you're seeing a, 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 an egress of talent, you're seeing instability behind the scenes, you're seeing a, a haphazard managerial appointment process or, or, or long-term planning in that regard. And, and then all of a sudden it ceases to be an attractive prospect. So it is very, very difficult, I think, to reasonably assess who might want to manage Watford because... What you then have to start to do is is to get into the head of the people that that you're potentially putting forwards and saying, well, what is it that they're looking for in terms of a challenge? Are they seeking maybe to rehabilitate a career? Are they seeking to establish a reputation in in a, a larger set of leagues or or a larger nation? Uh, are they looking in in one instance of the names I'm going to bring up to move from South America across to Europe? So there are reasons why managers might want to take on a club like Watford. Some of them are positive reasons and some of them it may be sufficient to overlook the negatives. But it is a really tough ask. OK, then, Alex, as me and John mentioned earlier on, the criteria I set you to go away and find some some potential head coaches for Watford was playing expansive football, very happy to play a 4-2-3-1 formation system, as we know that's, that's caused a few issues this season with some of the managers' uh, departures. And this is a really important one, happy to fit into the club's model, happy to work underneath a structure that has a director of football or technical director, doesn't necessarily have a huge say, if any at all, in transfers, happy to play young players within the first team and develop them, a good communicator inside and outside the club, somebody that can maybe unite some of the fractious nature of the relationship between the fans and the players and the hierarchy, someone that can put a, 
you know, a good united front on things and some of the clear philosophy. So not too much to ask, really. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, absolutely fine. Really straightforward. (laughs) So who have we got first? So the first one I've gone for is like my dream pick. It's extremely unlikely for various reasons, although it is also kind of plausible. But he's a guy who I feel ticks all of the boxes um, that that you set, which are nice. And and I have to say that I think the way you've laid those criteria out is exactly the way that a managerial search should be conducted. I think if you're a director of football or an owner, you really do need to make a list of the things that that you want from in, in a candidate. You know, a style of football, a style of communication, certain types of experience. You know, you don't just think, oh, Mark Hughes is out of a job, let's go and get him. Um, so I would go for Roberto Martinez. Um, now Roberto Martinez is used to playing a 4-2-3-1. During his time at Everton, he purchased John Stones. He oversaw the development of Ross Barkley. Uh, even players like John Lundstrom, who has been doing fantastically well for Sheffield United, wasn't given a first team chance under Martinez, but came into the squad and trained with it. Uh, so he ticks the youth box, uh, significantly. He is an expansive and progressive coach. Obviously, he's multilingual, um, and he's used to working with the director of football. Now, clearly, Martinez is, you know, he's got a job with the Belgian national side. I think this is one of the advantages where, potentially because we're in a post-pandemic situation now, there is a greater degree of uncertainty around international football. Um, Obviously, we were supposed to have the Euros this summer. Whether that will happen next summer, when things get pushed back to and so on, I think it does mean that there is an unusual opportunity to take international coaches, even if it's on a sort of short term, you know, give us a season type of contract or potentially run the two jobs simultaneously because there's such a low level of, I mean, I I think there are some friendlies happening, but it's, you know, you're not building to a competition in quite the same way or with the same degree of certainty uh, that would have occurred prior to the pandemic. Um, So yeah, Martinez, I think, you know, he's got experience in English football and yeah, he just seems to tick all of the boxes aside from the fact that he currently has a job. But like I say, there's, there's a caveat around that because of what that job is. Do you not think though, I mean, he, if you told me him and we'd stayed up, I think I probably would have gone, oh yeah, that maybe that's a possibility, you know, you know, barring the idea that he's got a job at the moment. But sh- surely that is, is he, are you saying he's your fan- fantasy choice because we are in the championship or because we're Watford? Um, because you're in the championship, but I, I do feel like with the correct managerial appointment and quite a firm stance from the board in terms of selling players that, you know, Watford do look equipped to bounce back straight away. So I think if you, if you can nail that down, if you're, you know, if you're a good manager, then the club is kind of pitching to you as well, right? Especially if you're currently in a in a job. None of the other candidates I've looked at are, as it happens. But I think the club would, it's incumbent on them to, to try and sell the proposition. And in that regard, Watford being near London, you know, having a lot of good players, having some experienced older heads who, who hopefully would stay on in, in, you know, the likes of Foster and Deeney, some exciting young players... You know, there there is a way of of finessing that process. I suppose what I mean is that not every club that's in the championship should be considered a write off to top tier managers. And if you look at the experience, Rafa of, Benitez had a season in there, didn't he? Right, and and Bielsa, you know, joining mm. Leeds and and getting extremely close in his first season and then achieving promotion in his second season. So, you know, there, there's an argument around Bielsa to do with the types of clubs that he likes to manage and his overall levels of achievement, but. I think the, the the championship, despite the fact that it's the second tier of English football, it's still one of the Premier Leagues in the world, um, outside of, you know, Europe's top five leagues. It's it's up there very, very strongly in terms of commercial appeal, in terms of revenue and all the rest of it. So I, I do feel like it's not it's not necessarily something to be as down on as uh either as you might feel having just been relegated and thinking oh god we've got Barnsley away now um but also 
there are there's there's a, a multiplicity of clubs in the championship and obviously some of those are going to be much less attractive but Watford's not one of those clubs one thing he might be able to do is convince Gerard Delefeu to stay they've uh, worked together previously at Everton um, yeah, I'm not that's sure. true. And, and also, I'm not sure you know, he'd have. A, I'm not sure he'd have a say in the matter, to be honest with you, given like, given what we know about the transfer policy. But I mean, like he would obviously. I I completely see where you're coming from with having him as like the fantasy choice because it would be, despite what you've just said about the championship being at least glamorous enough for somebody of his stature to take the job. You're still going from Belgium, the number one ranked team currently in the world FIFA rankings, if they mean anything, you know, World Cup semi-finalists to go and work at Vicarage Road and be, be the Watford manager. It would be fantastic. It would be fascinating to see what somebody, you know, what him, what he in particular could do or even somebody like him could do. Uh, he, just to, just to indulge this particular fantasy for a second, there was a brilliant piece actually written by Greg O'Keefe, one of the Everton writers for The Athletic recently on the site, about Martinez's time at Goodison Park and kind of remembering that season where they nearly got into the Champions League. I think it was in 2014. I think it was the same season that Liverpool nearly won the league that season, I think. Uh, and Everton nearly did it. Like, having outlandishly promised Champions League football in the first press conference, they nearly did it. And it did unravel pretty spectacularly, I think, in the seasons up following that. But this is a guy who has had great success with Wigan, obviously winning the FA Cup memorably. Uh, Swansea, he was one of the architects of the sort of Swansea rise up the divisions before Rodgers came in and kind of took it took it to that next level. Like, in a way, and maybe we'll go on to this later, like, we almost need Roberto Martinez of like eight years ago. We need to catch someone who's at that level and has got the ideas of a Roberto Martinez who, who's ready to take a club and make a name for himself. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And but I, I mean, I would say, like you say, you know, Belgium, Belgium are good, right? So even if FIFA World Rankings are a, a slightly odd way of looking at it, but he is somebody who has a track record of of kind of almost getting his hands dirty and taking on projects and mm. then instilling a style, which, from what you've said to me, is the kind of style that that the ownership group would like to see. And in certain players kind of have the potential possibly to be able to realize that. So, yes, I mean, it is fantastical in a lot of senses, but it's also the kind of thing that that I personally could definitely see working. Of course, whether or not that means that it would ever be a likelihood is is a separate question. Well, the, uh, one criteria that isn't on the list, I suppose, but it's more of a, a heart, you know, heartfelt thing for Watford fans, is is you know the Graham Taylor um, sort of ethos that's still around. And I remember seeing uh, Martinez, you know, in lots of things, you know, really being part of the Evertonian community. Mm-hmm. Well, he embraced Howard Kendall, I think, quite heavily when he was there. Yeah, as sort of a big proud historical figure in the club's sort of history rather than shunning the past he very much embraced everything the club had to offer well i don't know about you but i think this uh, podcast is finished let's go hire the man <laughs> <He's saying laughs> perfect. Uh, but what about maybe maybe a little bit more sensible managers who you think would be you know more potsoy in their their appointments okay so bruno lager who was at benfica um and has has just left he plays a sort of either a 4-4-1-1 or a 4-2-3-1 obviously there's not a huge amount of of difference in in those formations he has experience working in uh, England in fact he was Carlos Carvajal's assistant manager um, somebody who I believe you were linked with Mm. he's done very well at Benfica and and it's you know I'm not entirely sure why he's left there may be I mean Portuguese football does have some up and downs and some complex ownership issues as well going on. So maybe he's kind of used to doing that. Absolutely ticks your box, uh, not just in terms of style, but in terms of the development of youth players. And I do think at the moment in Europe, Portugal is probably the go-to country for managers that are good at working with youth prospects, bringing them into the first team. That's partly because Portugal, as a kind of football setup is very much predicated on on developing and selling as a means of sustaining the businesses. So it's a good place to look for, for people who can do that sort of thing. I'm going to assume that he speaks English because of his time at Sheffield Wednesday. He's certainly used to working with a director of football. And at 44 and having 
only worked as a manager for one club, albeit a big club in Europe, but only one and otherwise been assistant managers. I, you know, I think he's probably quite a sensible shout. Yeah, I had a feeling like with, you know, not knowing who you were going to say, he, he seemed to be, I, I when you first started speaking, I thought, oh, but he's, he's already been a manager somewhere. There's that want of someone to be ambitious, to be, you know, to, to want to really do something big with Watford, as in redefine it. And take it to the Premier League and, and beyond. But, and, but as you've gone on, yeah, maybe he is the sort of, this, the, he's probably more, more sensible, but in some ways a bit sadder than Martinez, um, if we, we're picking him. <laughs> well, I mean, what, what you said that was very interesting was almost you want to find the Martinez from, you know, eight years ago. Yeah. And, and it, because of the way that, that Portuguese, this also happens in Spanish football where there's a progression in some, instances that 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 feels quite natural from being a bt manager into taking the 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 top rank um side of that club which is what lager did um that that sometimes people progress to being the manager of a bigger side having worked their way through the ranks rather than being an external appointment who's already got lots of experience i think he kind of does hit the sweet spot of being sufficiently experienced to be capable of handling a championship season but not so experienced that he's kind of ruling himself out and i mean he has been linked with aston villa um <laughs> which i don't know you know it's, we're we're getting to that time of the year aren't we when tenuous links come up all of the time but so he is on the radar of of clubs that are kind of in that bracket and obviously villa stayed up and and watford didn't but i think in terms of a lot of the ways that you might compare those clubs, there's not an enormous amount of disparity between them in terms of, you know, spending power and, and current reputation and that sort of thing. Yeah, you know, for me, the biggest single thing with Lager is, is the youth thing. You know, he's, he is exceptional at developing younger players. Uh, and that Benfica squad has got some amazing ones that have come through and got really regular first team minutes under them. You know, he's 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 trusted them to go and play and do well. That really ought to be on on everyone's radar. You know, if 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 I were running a football club, that's one of the absolutely prime considerations that I would have. Have I got a manager who's not just going to oversee this kind of thing and be receptive to it, but will actively give uh, young players a chance because it's part of a sustainable business model uh, bruno is definitely uh, a sensible choice and I, i'd be happy with him who else who other sensible managers could we be hiring alex so sensible-ish maybe someone who's in a bracket i would say between lager and martinez would be uh, leonardo jardim um who was until december the manager of monaco um, he's actually had two spells at Monaco, so that kind of ticks a Watford box, doesn't it? Because you like having people <laughs> Um He's also managed heavily in Portugal, which again I think is is quite a good uh, sign about a, a person's ability to develop younger players. He plays a four-two-three-one. He's absolutely used to working with a director of football. Monaco had a lot of young prospects. I mean, Monaco, a, a, for a, a club that is has been at some times, you know, financially extremely wealthy. Monaco had their owner ran into uh, some difficulties, shall we say, and, and they increasingly turned to a youth-oriented model. Um, obviously, it's where Mbappe came from, um, but they've had a lot of other good players come through that system. So anyone who's been involved in Monaco for sort of the last three years has absolutely had a hand in developing some of Europe's most interesting prospects. So this guy, just to just to clarify, he was in charge during that spell where Monaco were like playing Man City in the Champions League and they had Fernando Silva, Mendy and yeah, Mbappe yeah so he was there players. from yeah. yeah he was there from from the beginning of the 14-15 season all the way through and he had come off the back of a, a short but very successful spell at Sporting as well, Sporting um, CP in, in Lisbon. He's got good experience Again, this is maybe what pushes him into the Martinez bracket in that he might feel that there's an opportunity for him to manage without any disrespect to Watford, a larger club. However, he has also been out of work since December of 2019. The Monaco thing, I I would say circumstances beyond his control to a degree, that kind of fell off slightly and, and his time there did end quite badly. But I think... There was a lot happening behind the scenes at that club and, you know, he was sort of brought in hurriedly to try and stabilise things again and it didn't really work out. So I, I don't think you can you can necessarily put a black mark against his name 
for that reason he might and this is why i was saying at the beginning of this podcast you know you to a degree you have to try and get into managers heads don't you you have to try and think well why would this particular individual be interested in this particular opportunity and and with jardim it's it's definitely the idea that he might wish to kind of not rehabilitate himself but but to get a shot at a club that could be back in the premier league by the end of next season when you know potentially he's not going to get an opportunity of that nature otherwise Hmm. it does sound one that maybe i worry that someone would see him and with uh, a bigger club would be able to swipe him away from our conversations you know that that championship thing still is my head what, what you're saying john is he, he still sounds too good for what uh, yeah a little bit yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's 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 a degree of negativity here. I, I think you haven't, don't you, get me you, wrong. you haven't had the season that we've had. It's a very well, negative this, season. <laughs> I do understand that, and that's kind of the, the 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 issue, isn't it? But I think I think sometimes you know you could say, for example, you could look at Leeds and think that you know Leeds is a club that has had massive upheaval behind the scenes. It's gone through some really quite terrible owners. It's faced. I mean, it got pretty close to insolvency. And yet there was something there. There was an opportunity there and they managed to get, you know, a, a huge coach to, to not just work with them in the championship, but sit with them for the season that didn't work out and then bring them back the next season. And I think it, you know, the, the, if, if you've just been relegated to the championship, it probably fit well as a Southampton fan. I know this. It does feel bad. Mm-hmm. But it's also not as bad as all that. You know, if there's other stuff in place, there's other opportunities, there's good players in the squad, there's the, the, the capacity to bounce back. Like, it's not the end of the world. And I think coaches probably do take, well, I would hope that some coaches would take a longer-term view of that and think about, you know, seeing Watford as an opportunity to mm-hmm. to take somebody back into the Premier League and then re-establish them there, rather than, oh, God, this club's just gone down, I don't want to touch that with a barge pole. And yeah. I think I think we should probably remember as well. I mean, the, one of the reading reading some of Phil Hayes' brilliant pieces on Leeds since they got promoted, and he was talking about how Bielsa was initially convinced to join the club. I think by the it was Victor Orta is the sporting director there at Leeds, isn't he? And they've got Radrizani, who's the owner, and I think Angus Kinnear's like chief executive or whatever. Like we're talking about stuff sort of theoretically here on paper, but how do these decisions get made? They get made by meetings and phone calls and. Bielsa might have looked at Leeds and remembered, you know, realised all the things you've just said, Alex, and thought, why do I want to go there? But he was convinced because he sat down with two or three people and thought, I like these guys. I believe in them. I'm going to do it. So we've got to really kind of have a bit of faith, not that it's there's been much of it lately, in, you know, Gino Pozzo, who's this guy who supposedly knows everything about football and loves football and is head of this amazing scouting network, and Scott Duxbury, who's been around the English game for a number of years now. They've got to be able to go to somebody like Jardim or Martinez or Lager or whoever else you come up with and convince them that this is for real and that you should come and be Watford head coach. This podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers a precision-engineered tool for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents. And the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving! Who else though, Alex? Who else today? Are there any other, maybe slightly out there managers who, we're calling them slightly out there and uh, maybe not the first choice, but you never know. They might be the one uh, holding up a shirt in a couple of days time. Who have we got? I've got three more slightly out there ones for you. My first out there one, and I'll be completely honest here, I know very little about this guy, but there are some promising things. So he's called Hussein Kimsir, and he was until recently the manager of Trabzonspor in Turkey. Now, he caught my eye because although he was only coach of Trabzonspor for 21 games, he 
was getting 2.1 points per match from that. So that, that's really quite good. And Turkey's a fairly competitive league. He does play a 4-2-3-1. Trabzonspor brought through some interesting young players, including a couple like uh, Alexander Soloth, who was signed by Palace a while back and was supposed to be a kind of really interesting striker. And it didn't work out for him there, but he did great at Trabzonspor. So he's he's a guy who he's very inexperienced. What he has done, although it's quite small, looks good and looks to be the style of football that you're interested in. Yes to the youth thing. I don't really know. You know, it's it's very hard to find out whether he, for example, speaks English or not. So there could be significant caveats around that. But he's going to be young. He's going to be interested in getting an opportunity. He's probably the least likely of these coaches to be put off by Watford's position. And certainly what he's shown in terms of what he could do so far is genuinely quite interesting. Um, but I don't know enough about him personally really to be that strong in terms of my recommendation. Fantastic. It's the first time I've ever heard the man's name spoken. Yeah, how do you spell it? <laughs> <laughs> it did take me a little while to find it on Google. There's a lot of... Yeah. Uh, it's a lot of umlauts and I don't know what the word for the little squiggles is under the C's and the S's, but yeah. Yes, I don't, I mean, you know, it's, again, he's somebody who's, who's worked his way up through a, a system. He was, he was an experienced Turkish international footballer. He, he played as a, a defensive midfielder occasionally as a centre back. I, I like people who've kind of worked their way up the pyramid a little bit and, and have experience of that. And like I say, when he got his his chance at the top job, I don't know why he would have left that. I know Turkish football is quite political, so there could be behind the scenes reasons for it. But he absolutely did, you know, as much as could be expected of him. He looks the part. Just googling him now, he does. He looks exactly the sort of bloke that we'll, we will see on a on a press release in in about a week's time. We'll, There's a solidity there, isn't there? Yeah. You know? yeah. There is. Yeah, you can see him. He, d- he does look like he could hold his own in a conversation with Trodini. Um, <laughs> Who else then? Who else is a little bit a bit out there? Okay, so I'm I've got one conservative out there, and then I've got one wildly but exciting out there. Okay, which would you like first? The conservative one. Gustavo Poyet. Oh, why conservative? Why that conservative? Conservative because he's not had a job for a couple of years. He obviously had that experience in English football, which counts for him in some regards. The Sunderland tenure ended quite badly. He actually wasn't that bad at Brighton. I know there there were some question marks around how he left Sunderland as well, and, and that might leave a... A sort of sour taste. Not, not the only person that you can say that about. To be fair to <laughs> well, him. that's that's <laughs> absolutely right. Um, you know, he he had a short spell at Ike Athens, which went really, really well. Most recently, he was at Bordeaux. Now, Bordeaux again are kind of a basket case of a club. Um, I mean, I don't know how much people keep up with Ligue 1 football, but but Paulo Souza has been kind of half in half out of that club for the last month that you know the board have been arguing people have been forced out and it's been like that for a little while so i think i think it's fair to say that that poyet is used to working under difficult circumstances and yet he produced good results in that short spell he's probably not by default a 4-2-3-1 coach um i i think he does you know generally he tends to prefer a slightly more uh, attacking kind of 4-3-3 system but He's kind of a pragmatic coach. Like he's, he's done different jobs with reasonable, you know, degrees of success. Yes, but he's experienced in a lot of the ways that you'd want. And he built the team at Brighton around Liam Bridcut, I think. Again, I was reading a piece about this on the athletic and then did, they did really well and then took him to Sunderland and it just didn't happen for him. He never really got in the team. And then I think Poyet was out pretty quickly, what have you, in his career nosedived. But yeah, that's, and that is a name that will be familiar to Watford players, uh, to Watford fans, sorry, as a, a player that did spend a little bit of time with us on loan under Brendan Rodgers all those years ago. All those years ago. Who's the, the, the crazy one then? The crazy one is one of my favourite coaches <laughs> currently. And, and, and again, we give a nod back here to our friend Marcelo Bielsa. Um, so Gabriel Heinzer, who fans of Manchester United oh, remember, wow. yeah. um, has just come off the back of a, I wouldn't say it was the most amazing spell at Vela Sarsfeld, um, but he, you know, it, it really caught the eye in, in terms of the way he was playing. He is quite a Bielzista, 
Um, so <laughs> you're not necessarily going to find a four-two-three-one. Uh, you you'd probably get more of a four-one-four-one. And he certainly cites Bielsa as an influence. And when we did some work during the season when Leeds weren't promoted, um, we did a, a series of videos on on Bielsa and looked at some of the coaches that he's influenced pretty directly in terms of of having coached them and then they've gone on to be coaches and uh, and Heinzer is one of them and you know he's he's been linked with some relatively big jobs uh in in South America obviously um uh, Jesus has just left Flamingo who are playing quite a high pressing style unusual for Brazilian football and so he's been linked with that job because he's he's a good presser of the ball as a coach um but he's one of these guys who could well want to return to Europe. Obviously, he had a successful career here as a player. Um, and he's a really interesting and exciting coach. This would be the sort of time to get him. And actually, because of what Bielsa did with Leeds, I know it's kind of different, but you might be able to convince, uh, you know, a Bielsa disciple that, that the same opportunity awaits them <laughs> if they, if they come to Watford. Uh, even as I say that, it sounds slightly bizarre. But yes, I think, you know, he's a really interesting uh, potential um, one. And I think in the next five or 10 years, he could become a really good coach. Um, so now's the time to go for him. I like it. You can see it already. You can see the montage on Sky Sports News, just of his days at Manchester United. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it yeah. ticks all of the hashtag narrative boxes, doesn't it? Yeah. I and mean, there's literally every... You could probably find him playing against Watford in some game and, you know, but he's, you know, he's, he's got something as, as a coach, definitely. Well, he played for United in 2006, seven, which was the season Watford were in the Premier League under Boothroyd. Right. So there you go. So it, done. it should Job have, done. It probably happened. Yeah. And, yeah. and he's definitely multilingual. He's definitely used to working with a director of football. So yeah, boxes ticked. Again, it's, it's a slightly out there choice, but I think if you're, if you're able to, to make a pitch to guys and, and say, you know, this is what we're t intending to do. And if you can keep hold of certain of your players, um, there's no reason why someone like that wouldn't want a shot. On the, uh, on the subject of being multilingual. I'm just having a quick peruse of Gabriel Heinz's uh, Wikipedia page. You're sold on him, aren't you, Dave? I'm, I'm, I'm really liking it, yeah. There's a lovely bit in the personal life section, often the best bit of any Wikipedia page, and it says that it was alleged that Heinz was a member of the Welsh-speaking colony in Patagonia. <laughs> I don't even know how you pronounce it. It's, it's Y-W-L-A-D-F-A, E-Ladfa. I don't know if that's a silent W, I don't know, I can't speak Welsh. But very sadly, very sadly, a Manchester United spokeswoman confirmed that this was an urban myth and that Gabriel Lancer cannot speak Welsh. What a buzzkill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Orns, you're the Orns. Come on, you Orns! So before you go, Alex, we've got a few more suggestions that we have had from uh, a very prolific Watford tweeter called Lou Orns on, on Twitter. He knows his stuff. I think he, I, I imagine he's a fan of TIFO and also a few names that Adam Leventhal, our Watford writer for The Athletic, has kind of mentioned in some of his pieces and some of his findings so far. So if I just read them out and you just, just, just give me, if you know anything about any of them, a line on each of them, whether you think they may or may not be a good choice. So first choice from Lou Orns on Twitter is Gerhard Struber, who is currently the Barnsley head coach, who was very tearful uh, after keeping them up on the final day of the season last week. Struber is fascinating. He is tactically, I would say, the best manager in the championship after Bielsa. Presses like a dervish. Really, really interesting. I, I mean, yeah. I'm assuming, given that he's come out of German football, he's used to working with the director of football. I don't know much about his his youth stuff, but I do know that Barnsley are quite good at producing young players. Mm. So I assume that he's worked with some. And it would be a step up within that division. He's not been at Barnsley for very long, so there might be question marks around whether he could slog out a whole season in the championship and whether he might be a little bit combustible alongside the ownership group. But he's definitely a good shout. Three more from him. I'll just read all three. Tell me if any of, any of these stick out to you. So Robert Moreno, uh, Mark Van Bommel, 
a name will be familiar to people listening from that famous game in the 2010 World Cup semi-final, and Eusebio Di Francesco, who I have never heard of. Who are they? Do you know? Yeah, Di Francesco has had some not very great spells in Italy. He definitely had one high-profile club. It may have been Roma, but I might have been making that up. I did have a look at him. I didn't include him in my list, but I did consider him. Okay, he's gone. Didn't pass the test. Robert Moreno and Mark Van Bommel. Van Bommel, I I would say no, probably, just because I think he's quite kind of functional as a coach, um, and he's not really done anything outside of Dutch football coaching-wise. That can be a difficult transition. It it doesn't often work out. Moreno, yes, he replaced uh, Jardim at Monaco. Yeah, and I think he had a spell, and he's been he's been sacked. Was since. he involved with the Spanish national team as well? He was. He was the assistant. Yeah. That's right. I think he's in his early 40s. Um, you know, he probably ticks some of those boxes. I, I don't know enough about how he's played to, to be able to say system-wise, I'm afraid. Okay, one more that you'll definitely have an opinion on. Uh, this is from Adam Leventhal's piece. And at one stage, I've not checked today, but at one stage he, w- he was the favourite in the betting to take over as the next Watford manager, and that was Claude Puel. <laughs> 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 oh dear I, I, like, okay Puel as a Southampton fan I can speak to this Puel gets a slightly bad rap I think because what he wanted to do at Southampton was spend half a season to a season fixing the defence and then move on to working more with the attacking side of the game and the defence was it excellent under him. Like I think he, I think he's got like the record for Southampton's nil-nil draws. But that kind of also tells you quite a lot about him. He also didn't really come across that well to the players, and he signed a guy whose name has temporarily left my mind. But he was a right back at Nice, and he was. He was sort of Puel's conduit to the players in the Nice dressing room and was really, really important for him in that regard. And he came to Southampton with him and then promptly got injured and basically never played for us. And I think that kind of hampered Puel's ability to, to communicate there. Some of the football that he played at Leicester was quite nice. He's obviously somebody who's experienced in the English game and would probably welcome the chance to get back into it. But it's not going to be fun, certainly not to start with. But yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's the Are you kind talking of about Jeremy Piad. That's the fella, Jeremy Piad. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. Puel is is actually of all the people that we've talked about, Puel's probably the one who would most likely end up doing it. I'm not sure it's the most inspired choice, but there's also not really there's not really any reason why I'd actively go against it. I just think it would be quite boring. More boring than Sam Allardyce? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but there are there are reasons that I would actively go against Sam Allardyce. So, okay, you know, yeah. it's, it's I, I can think of a same. few of those. Um, <laughs> other one that sort of really he, he came up before Pe- uh, Pearson was is Chris Hewton. Yeah, that's interesting because I Hewton cropped up when I was doing my research as well, and I I did I did kind of think about that. I mean, again. The issue with Hewton is is that he was associated with really quite a kind of dour, pragmatic style of football. And you've always got to balance what works in the championship with what the owners would like to achieve. And I think it would be harder to sell to the the younger players that it's worth staying around for a season to, to be exuberant and exciting and attacking and then appoint Chris Hewton. Having said that, I think Hewton's really good and a very safe pair of hands in a lot of ways and probably would be able to, to get you promoted again. Mm-hmm. I'm not entirely sure that he would play a brand of football that would would appeal to the ownership group and appeal to some of the players, but he's extremely capable. Uh, and he is also a lovely man, by all accounts. Yep, I can confirm that. Right, you know, if you're looking to kind of heal divisions between the club and, and the fans and maybe settle a fractious dressing room and that kind of thing, there would be strong arguments in favour of Hewton in that regard. Not a bad shout at all. I just think from a stylistic point of view, maybe not quite what they're looking for. And then three more names who have cropped up, all from Italy. 
uh, Gian Piero Gasparini of Atalanta, who have been doing great things, haven't they, in Syria this season? You've got, you've uh, got no chance of Gasparini. Yeah, Sinisa <laughs> yeah, uh, Mihailovic of Bologna and Diego Lopez of Brescia. Brescia have been relegated, haven't they? I think so. Brescia have been relegated. I mean, Mihailovic again, no chance. I'm afraid. I, I, I think Mihailovic is so embedded in in Italy now. You know, had that incredible playing career at Lazio um, and has managed Italian clubs since then pretty much I can't see him leaving there Gasparini is you know he's he's one of the best tactical managers in the whole of Europe so I'm not quite convinced he'd want to go to Watford sorry also he doesn't play a 4-2-3-1 so you know clearly they're going to rule him out for that reason (laughs) I don't know much about um, Brescia or Lopez, to be fair. I know that Brescia had some interesting young players, not least Sandro Tonali, who everyone says is the next Andrea Pirlo. But if you read James Horncastle's really interesting profile on him, you'll realise that's not quite true. But yes, I, I, I don't know whether they went down because they were rubbish, because he's a bad coach or for other reasons. So I can't really comment on him, I'm afraid. Do you know much about Juan Carlos Osorio? Um, the name rings a bell from, cause I read one of Adam's pieces recently and it popped up in there. I mean, apart from ringing a bell, <laughs> not, no, not really. Uh, he managed Paraguay. He's managed Mexico. He is currently, I think, managing Atletico Nacional, who are a club in, oh, in Colombia. Oh, okay. Oh, that one. Yes, right. Okay. Nacional, they're a big team in Colombia. Um, I, I, no, I mean, I've never watched them play. I, I always, I always get a bit grumpy about people on, on like football Twitter who pretend to know everything. I'm very, very happy to say when I'm giving an ignorance about something and how Atletico Nacional play is definitely one of those things. So I, I'm afraid I can't help with that. No, that's good. He's, he's ticked off the list. Uh, last but not least, there's one name that has popped up a few times, and that is Zlatko Dalic, who is the Croatian national manager. Uh, of course, got them to the World Cup final in 2018. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he plays the right system, doesn't he? Although du- during that campaign, Croatia did adapt because I think they were getting, when they were trying to play Modric and Rakitic as a double pivot, they they were a little bit porous. So he did a, he did adjust that. Um, it's, it's harder with a, a national team coach and I don't know what Dalic did before becoming the Croatia coach, but it's, it's always harder to know how much they do with young players, but there were some young players in that Croatia squad. There's, um, Dulacar, who's the center back at Marseille. He's, um, he came into the squad under Dalic. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's certainly that it, it, it's, it's tricky. I think with, with national team managers, um, from that part of the world, you don't know how much what they've achieved is is based on the familiarity with a particular group of players and having a system that works for that particular group of players. I don't I don't know what he's done otherwise and how adaptable he would be um, to to you know working with a new group in a different country. Um, but he's obviously a decent coach because what he did with that Croatia team was impressive and he does play the right way. Thank you so much, Alex. That was superb. It's entirely my pleasure. Thank you. It's fascinating to, to hear, like you say, you look at football in the complete opposite way to me. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah, to hit that, know that detail of all these play, all these managers, uh, it's fascinating. That's what I do love about, about Tifo. It's Thank always you. it's always an education, but it, as you say, it's not patronising in any shape or form. That's what we're going for. But yeah, I, I'm excited to see what does happen at Watford because I, I suspect that whatever it is, it's not going to be dull. It never is. Lots of choices there, DCW, from Alex. The sensible, the out there, the crazy uh, and the conservative for you, we're not necessarily picking one of those managers. Where do you think this, they're going to go, the pots? Are they going with sensible? Are they going to go with conservative? I think the only thing we can be certain of, John, is that Watford Football Club, Gino Pozzo, are going to appoint a head coach probably within the next seven days 
whose name has not been mentioned a single time on this podcast. <laughs> it's very true. We've never even, I mean, I mean you, what I'd really like to do is that when we find out who it is, go back to Alex and say, have you ever heard of them? If he goes, no, you go, that's such a Pozzo <laughs> thing. Cause yeah. he would definitely, he knows all of them. Uh, he knows so much as he, as he proved on this podcast. Uh, and we can be, we're, we're very grateful for Alex and his time he's put into, to researching all these, these managers. If you had to pick one though, who would you, who would you pick? Oh, if I if I could pick one and I had no restrictions and it was a complete fantasy reality, I'd pick I w- of the ones we've spoken about. I'd pick Roberto Martinez all day long. I think he's a great guy. I really like him. Really, really enjoyed his football when he was at Wigan. That fantastic FA Cup victory. I found the Everton team that he had was was really great. He has limitations. There are things that maybe he doesn't always get right. That he, he doesn't focus enough, perhaps, on the defensive side of things, but. We'd have a lot of fun with a, with Roberto Martinez in the championship, but I mean, th- there's more chance of me being the next head coach, I think, than <laughs> Roberto Martinez. I think you, you, what you said there, I do want it to be fun next year, I, and I hopefully we don't go down the boring conservative route. Um, you know, Puel might be experienced, but I just think if he does what he did at Southampton, as as Alex said, of let's be defensive first, it's just going to be. Yeah, it's not going to be fun, and I, I think fun is the the most important thing just to get over this dread and torment that we've had this season. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rooker End. Remember, do go to theathletic.com forward slash Rooker End to get a subscription to The Athletic and read more of what the athletic writers have to offer, uh, as well as see the stuff that Alex and the TIFO team uh, put together for The Athletic. And we'll be back with another podcast very, very soon. Thank you much, DCW. Thank you. And with just over 40 days to go until the football season returns, with only one message that we want to send to the team and the management which is come on you all